We're taking a look into the future, and we're going to answer some big questions today like, um, you know, when will the Lord come back? You're going to know the answer to that today, okay? And, you know, not many classes can do this, but I offer a money-back guarantee. And so if um, the things of the book of Revelation don't come true, you're welcome to come back and we will refund your money. Okay, how's that for a... You can't go wrong with that sort of offer, can you? Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for... uh, your grace to want to inform your people about your plan for the future. And so, Lord, we um, uh, hope to have a lot of fun studying your book, but, Lord, uh, there are a lot of things in there that uh, are not going to be fun for the people who are here on earth uh, when that time comes. And so, Lord, we agree with uh, the Apostle John at the end of the book where he says, Lord, come quickly. And we, we ask that same thing. But most of all, Father, we ask that our hearts be prepared, that we might be uh, bold to proclaim your truth until you return, until your son returns, and uh, that we might be um, humble to live in a manner that says, hey, we have been given an opportunity to look at the truth about the future and uh, then to humbly share that with others. So, Father, be with us today and uh, pray that you would uh, just, um, your spirit might enlighten our eyes that we see the truth of your word uh, about the future. So, thanks for each one in here and thanks for their willingness to give up a uh, a great Saturday morning to come study more about your word. And I pray that you will bless each one of them uh, for their diligence in pursuing your truth. So, thanks for this time. In Christ's name, amen. You know, when I was a young believer, um, it's hard to believe I was young uh, now, but uh, when I was a young believer, man, I got excited about prophecy. And I'll never forget um, being listening to a, a prophecy tape with one of my buddies at his house at about 1.30 in the morning. This was We were high school seniors. And his dad came downstairs with, you know, the way dads do. They can sneak up on you and you never know it. And he said, boys, and I swear I thought it was the voice of the Lord coming back to get us. So it didn't quite sound like a trumpet, but we jumped about six feet. So, John, way to dig in on uh, uh, something that, uh, you know, not everybody says, uh, hey, I want to. Uh, as a uh, young believer, want to uh, dig into the book of Revelation. But, man, there is a ton of stuff in this book that will bless you as you grow in Christ. Hey, there is a group out there in the good old U.S. of A. right now that has bulletin board or billboards that they've bought uh, that say that the Lord is returning on May 21st, 2011. So we'll see if that comes true. Um, Some group, uh, I I don't know um, who they're affiliated with or whatnot, Um, um, they could be right, but they also have a a much better chance of being way wrong. Uh, Because I'm going to give you the date when, or I'm going to give you the answer to the question about when the Lord is coming back, okay? Um, So don't believe May 21st, but believe what I say, because it's going to be straight out of the the text. All right, well... um, I want you to feel free throughout today to uh, raise your hand and ask questions. And uh, um, if it's something that I'm going to get to, I I may put you off for just a little bit. But uh, I want you to ask questions, okay? Um, I used to be a lawyer, 
Uh, practiced law for 30 years here in town before I became uh, the minister to men here at Watermark. And so, you know, um, they always say in oral argument, when the Court of Appeals is asking you questions, that's when you're really doing well. And so I want you to ask me questions uh, because um, I'm going to be here, you know, um, during the break, afterwards, etc. So don't leave here without uh, uh, your questions being asked. at least attempted to be answered. I, I won't promise you I can answer them all. In fact, there are a, a ton I can't uh, because we just don't know. Um, and so you know, I want to deliver on my first promise that I tell you when the uh, um, second coming is going to occur. So let's open the book of uh, uh, Matthew to the book of Matthew, Matthew 24. Let's see. Um, Okay, so Matthew 24 and 25 are known as what? Anybody know? End time prophecy. Uh, end time prophecy, but they're also known as something else. It's a reference to where Jesus actually was when he uh, shared the, these ideas with the, his disciples. Olivet Discourse, that's right. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives, which if you see this picture, um, I am over uh, in taking this picture um, near the Mount of Olives, okay? So I'm actually probably right in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, right about there. I can't remember exactly. This, these photographs are from 2008 when I was in Israel. And the picture is looking at uh, the beautiful gate. And when the Lord comes back to Jerusalem, He is supposed to go through that closed-up uh, gate right there. Um, somehow that will be opened, and uh, he'll walk through it. Because one of the things we know about prophecy is that the Lord always fulfills 100% of what he says uh, that he's going to do uh, in his prophecy. Okay, So we're in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. And uh, you, let's start in verse 29. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear uh, in heaven the the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. Okay? And he will send out his angels, etc. Um, so this is uh, talking about when Christ is coming back. That's an event known as the second coming, second coming right? Okay. Um, and so verse thirty-six gives us the answer to the question: When will that be? Who uh, who wants to read verse thirty-six? Okay. However. Okay. So that's the answer. Nobody knows. When that will be. Not even the sun knows. Now, you know, within the Trinity, I don't know how they work that out. Um, Christ is omniscient, but, you know, this is him speaking. And maybe he's, he's talking about that uh, as he's sitting there on earth, when he has veiled um, uh, a lot of aspects of his deity, um, you know, maybe he's talking about at that point that he doesn't know. Or maybe it is something that's been entrusted solely to the Father. Amy? Well, so we don't want to. We don't need to try to uh, figure out when he's actually coming back, but we need to be ready. You remember the uh, uh, parable in Matthew 25 about uh, the the foolish virgins, 
and how you know they didn't have enough oil to keep their um, lamps going. We don't want to be like the foolish virgins. We want to be prepared. But like uh, uh, some of you said, that you would know the signs. Uh, Mark, did you say that? Um, that you would be able to recognize the signs. And so if you see the abomination of desolation being erected in the Holy of Holies in a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, that hopefully will go ding. I've read about this before, and it, what's going to happen next is not good. Now, um, I'm here to tell you, and I, Watermark believes, that we as the church, i.e. the believers in Christ, will not be there on earth during that time frame. Okay, but we'll get to that, so I don't want to jump ahead too much. Um, okay, so nobody knows when that day will come, but we are charged to be uh, aware, to be like weathermen and be able to read the signs of the time. Okay? And so... Um, What sort of uh, prophetic events are still to be accomplished before um, the end times can happen? Anybody know? The building of the third temple. Well, no, not not even that. That's something that will happen, but there is actually no prophetic sign that needs to be fulfilled. Um, and that's one of the reasons that throughout... Um, the um, New Testament scripture is talked about that the coming of the Lord is near. It's imminent. It can happen any day. No one knows when that will happen, but it's imminent in the sense that it could happen any day. Okay? Now, there are things that are going to happen as a part of the buildup uh, of that. So, there are things that will happen, and the temple, uh, I think, will be rebuilt. Um, but, you know, whether that happens just. Um, uh, as the uh, final seven years of history on earth um, happen, you know, we don't know exactly about that. But we need to understand what's going on in the book of Revelation so we recognize the signs. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, where does the title for the book come from? Hmm? Where? The title of the book of Revelation. Where does that come from? Yeah, it comes from the very first verse. The very first word in the Greek is uh, apocalypsis. And that just mean, simply means revelation. And so uh, the, the very first verse of Revelation 1, and uh, we're going to be in our Bibles a lot today, uh, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Okay, and so John was expecting these things to happen um, quickly. Obviously, they have not happened um, two thousand years later. But you know, uh, in God's uh, um, calculus, uh, uh, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And so, uh, it is still, uh, and you know, just given as we look around. Uh, I think we can uh, safely say it's a lot nearer uh, today than it was even in John's time. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so the title actually just comes from uh, the, the first word in the book. It's the revelation of Christ. Uh, and I think that's important because we're going to see pictures of Christ throughout this book. 
Okay, And so right at the outset it says, hey, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And obviously if the Lord is revealing things, then uh, we want to be paying attention. And it's like my friend uh, Adam said, hey, you are in verse 3. Someone read verse 3 for me. Blessed is the one who reads the words of his prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it okay another statement that the time is near um, and so you are promised and this is one of the few if not the only place in scripture where you're promised a blessing for doing what reading, reading and, and actually the Greek says reading it out loud so uh, you know Amy if you're at home with your uh, son read it out loud with him because God promises us a blessing for doing that and that's one of seven blessings that you'll see throughout the book and as you're reading keep track of what those blessings are because you know um, I was a guard you know, lineman and you know those linemen are pretty linear in their thinking and uh, um, and so you know if it says blessing then I go, Bob, that's for you. You want to do those things that result in blessing for you. Okay, so there are at least seven of them in the book of Revelation. Check those things out. And so here's an easy one. It says, if you read it out loud and you uh, um, uh, hear, and then finally the important one is heed or keep or let's put it simple, uh, simply today, if you obey the words that are written in this book, it'll make a difference in your life. And you know, that's the way uh, um, the Christian life is. It is not complicated. Um, trust and obey. You know, trust that God is who He says He is, and then obey the things that uh, He tells us to do. Uh, it's not complicated, but man, it is hard. You know, and if you don't think it's hard, I need to know your secret, uh, because I find it hard. And so, okay, um, we're promised a blessing for doing those sort of things. We know when the Lord's returning. We know where the uh, title comes from. Let's take a little quick self-test here. These are 14 events of the future, okay? Second coming, obviously, something we've already talked about. The millennium refers to a thousand-year reign with Christ. Um, And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. The tribulation. Everybody, anybody not have heard the term tribulation? Okay. Uh, It refers to a seven-year period that will uh, uh, happen one day here on earth. Um, The GWTJ, who knows what that is? Yeah, the great white throne judgment. That will be the judgment of unbelievers at the um, <clears throat> uh, after the uh, uh, millennium. Okay, fall of Babylon, eternity, peace treaty with Israel, Armageddon, the final battle. Everybody's heard, heard about Armageddon probably these days. Uh, new heaven and earth, rapture, abomination of desolations is something that's been mentioned in here previously. The Great Tribulation, so we've got the Tribulation, and we've also got the Great Tribulation. And uh, um, Satan's defeat, and then the wedding feast of uh, believers in heaven. Those are 14 events that by the end of this uh, day, you're going to be able to put in order of when those events happen. Okay, And you're going to understand what those events are. Anybody do that right now? All right, so tell me, which one's first? All right. This is a lot of pressure, buddy. I understand. Uh, 
Fall of Babylon. Okay. Um, hey, let's give him a hand. That's pretty good. And it's, you know, not far off. But it's off a little bit, and so we'll, we'll double-check that. And by the end of this, it's my goal for you to be able to put those things in order. Okay? So let's dive in. Let's start, as I promised, with Watermark's beliefs. So these are uh, part of Watermark's doctrinal statement, which is on the website. You can look at it at uh, uh, watermark.org. And uh, section 11 deals with the end times. We believe in the personal imminent coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for the church. This event is commonly called the rapture. Will be followed by um, this event, commonly called the rapture, will be followed by great tribulation on earth, and will culminate in the return of Christ to earth to set up His millennial kingdom. And so, you've got on your little handout uh, those verses and whatnot. And hey, go check that out, uh, and go see. Be like the Bereans that, even though it was the Apostle Paul teaching them. They went and checked out uh, against Scripture what he was teaching them. So be like the Bereans and go check this out and s- see if you agree with this statement. What book was he talking to the uh, That's in the book of Acts. Okay? Um, well, it starts with the rapture. And so the rapture, the Lord doesn't actually get down to earth. But he meets his church in the air, okay? okay? And then the Lord comes back physically to earth, and that's what's known as the second coming. Okay, so that first sentence says... Well, um, yes, um, the second sentence explains that uh, when he comes for the church, that's known as the rapture, and he doesn't actually get to earth. If you go read First Thessalonians 4 about that, 13 through 18, that'll give you uh, some guidance on that. Yes, ma'am? No, no. Um, this is not meant to be an outline of the. It will be followed by it, but it doesn't mean it. it uh, there are other things that will uh, come about. Okay, so um, that's a great thought to try to. Hey, does this help us put these things in order? Well, it does in the sense that the great tribulation comes after the rapture, but it's like uh, you know um, a couple of. Uh, if you see a mountain range, you may see a, a short peak right in front of a really tall peak, and it looks like they're right next to each other. Um, and uh, really, there's a big gap that um, um, between those two. It's like you know those of you who've studied Daniel's 70 weeks vision uh, that refers to 70 weeks of years. And we believe, Watermark believes, that there is a gap between the 69th week and the 70th week. And that gap is the great parentheses of history, which is the church age that we're living in right now. Okay? Um, So let's move to uh, uh, the second section that deals with end time sort of things. And this one's uh, titled Eternal State. We believe the souls of believers in Jesus Christ do at death immediately pass into his presence and there remain in conscious bliss until the resurrection of the body at his second coming for the church. So, you know, that is a hope and an expectation we have in believers in Christ that even though we might die, that we go immediately into the presence of the Lord. Okay, and I'm not exactly sure what bliss means, but uh, um, 
it's going to be good. And it's going to be a lot better than what's going to happen to those who die without knowing Christ. Okay? So, um, we believe the souls of unbelievers remain after death in constant misery, so bliss versus misery, I guess, in Hades until the final judgment of the great white throne at the close of the millennium, uh, when soul and body reunited shall be cast into the lake of fire, not to be annihilated, but to be punished with everlasting separation from the presence of the Lord. And then there are a bunch of verses. So be like the Bereans and go check out uh, those verses. Okay, so that is a capsule of Watermark's beliefs. Okay, now you know, at any point in there, there are godly men and women who don't hold exactly to those set of beliefs, uh, but they believe that uh, uh, Christ died for our sins and that uh, the only way you get to heaven is by uh, having faith in Christ alone. And so, you know, is this an important thing of uh, uh, the faith? Absolutely. Is it an essential for salvation to believe exactly like Watermark believes? Um, I think there are things there that people can differ on and still be born-again believers who have put their trust in Christ. And so um, we believe... The reason we believe these things is because uh, we think that Scripture supports this perspective. And so, um, even if we don't call it an essential for the faith, we do think it's important and we do think it's incumbent upon us as believers in Christ to know and understand these things. And so we're happy to discuss them uh, at length. But the key is, have you put your trust in Christ as Savior? Okay, and I hope that you know maybe there's somebody in here that uh, is still in the process of saying, you know, Lord, are you really who you say you are? And I hope this class will be an encouragement to say, hey, I want to continue to investigate the claims of Christ and to make a decision because at some point, um, either through death or through the rapture of the church, you know, uh, the time's going to be up for making that decision. Okay. All right, let's keep moving. All right, so seven terms of the end times. We've already talked about most of these, but let's just make sure that we have a firm understanding of these seven terms. Okay, so the rapture, we've, we've talked about that. Uh, the rapture is referred to in First First Thessalonians 4, and uh, it refers to the removal of the church-age believers and those who have died in Christ during, uh, that, during this time frame of the church age to be with Christ forever. Okay, any questions about that? So that's the physical body. The physical body. The physical body. Yes. Um, so the dead, the, look, dead, the dead Christians and martyrs aren't in the presence of Christ in heaven right now? Um, well, we believe that their uh, souls are, okay? Let's look at, uh, it's worth uh, taking a second to look at First Thessalonians 4. And it looks like, in, starting in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, it looks like that uh, someone has asked Paul that question about, hey, what happens to um, believers in Christ who have died? And he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, uh, the, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And that's just a, uh, a biblical uh, reference to those who have died. 
For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, And here's the order. Uh, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them uh, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And man, that last part is a huge thing. Encourage one another with these words. Okay, so uh, I don't know about y'all, but every time I really start to think about the rapture, I just go, man, that is weird, okay, to think that that's actually going to happen. But it's also weird to see marriages restored uh, from divorce. It's weird to see people who were addicted to drugs uh, have their lives transformed that they might, uh, um, you know, uh, be an encouragement to others who are suffering from the same sort of addictions that they've had. And so, you know, if God can transform lives in that sort of fashion, can he handle the rapture? I think so. And so I don't know about y'all, but, um, you know, the goosebumps I get in reading and thinking about that and thinking one day whether I've died or whether I'm still alive here on earth, that one day we're going to be caught up in the air with him. It's not the second coming. It is a coming, but he doesn't physically come to earth, and it's not what's referenced as the second coming. Okay, so you've got to keep those two events separated in your mind. Okay, so we good on the rapture? Okay, now remember, the rapture is only going to be for those who have put their trust in Christ. And so if you were here on Easter and you saw that bridge illustration, those who have crossed over that chasm between unbelief and uh, come over to God's side through uh, the cross, those are the ones who will be participating in the rapture. It's only for the church of Jesus Christ. You know, we call this a church. Well, this is just a building. You know, the people in here who have believed in Christ, that is the church. Okay? So tribulation, the seven-year period of unparalleled trouble on earth after the rapture and culminating in the second coming of Christ. So that is Daniel's 70th seven. The 70th week of uh, uh, Daniel is the tribulation period. And that's differentiated by the ne- from the next term, the great tribulation. And that's a little confusing because if you see those words in Scripture, you need to be able to differentiate between the tribulation, that seven-year period, and the great tribulation, which is a reference to the last three and a half years of uh, the tribulation period. The great tribulation. Yeah. So the Great Tribulation is the last three and a half years, and it will be kicked off by um, what event? Mark? You know that event because you mentioned it. Yeah, the Antichrist will be ruling on earth during that time frame, during that seven-year period, and uh, um, he will erect an abomination of desolations that's referenced in... um, um, Daniel 29-27, Matthew 24, that we, uh, just before the passage we were looking at. Um, and so he will erect what likely will be a, a statue of himself. And he will um, require the people on uh, earth during that time to worship him. 
And that's what's known as the abomination of desolation that will be set up midway through the uh, seven years of the tribulation. And it will initiate the great tribulation because at that point in time, all bets are off and it will be literally hell on earth. And we'll see why in just a few minutes. Amy, you look like you have a question. The, the great tribulation is within the Exactly. Um, maybe it helped to see this on a timeline. Okay, so cross. Great parenthesis of history. The rapture. Okay, and that initiates uh, a seven-year period, okay, that is ended when Christ comes back in the second coming. So we have uh, seven years here, and right in the middle is the erection of the abomination of desolation in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, um, at three and a half years into the uh, seven years of the tribulation. Okay? We'll get to this, but um, just so you know, the real triggering device of the tribulation is the peace treaty between the Antichrist and Israel. Okay? And we'll talk about that in a little bit. It comes, it will come shortly after the rapture. Okay? All right, so day of the Lord, you see that throughout Scripture. And typically, you've got to be careful to parse that phrase uh, carefully. Um, you've got to be careful to parse that phrase care- carefully. My English teachers wouldn't like that. Okay, so you have to be careful with that phrase because typically, though, it refers to the judgments of God during the tri- tribulation period. And we're going to see that those judgments will fall uh, in this last three-and-a-half-year period. And I'm just going to call that the Great Tribulation, GT. Okay? And so those judgments, uh, I think, will happen during that last three-and-a-half years. Okay? How are we doing so far? Everybody with us? All right. Three more. Okay. Second coming. That's when Christ will bodily return to the earth. Raptures meets the church in the air. Second coming, he actually comes back to earth. Okay? And uh, um, when he does, he is on his way to fight a battle. And we'll talk about that battle. It's the Battle of Armageddon. And it's one that he will be accompanied by the armies of heaven. Anybody know who's going to be in those armies? What countries? Hmm? What countries? What people? Us. Who said us back there? That's right. We will be a part of the armies of heaven, the believers in Christ who uh, are up in heaven. We're not going to be just up there uh, twiddling our thumbs in this state of bliss, but we're going to uh, be part of the armies of heaven. Now, you know, in typical uh, Jesus fashion, we're not going to have to do any fighting. He is going to take care of that. Okay? You know, and what's that like? Man, that's like the Christian life, okay? If we let Him live His life through us, He will do it. First Thessalonians 
24 says, Faithful is he who calls you who will also bring it to pass. Okay, so uh, if we will allow him to live his life through us, he'll do it. But the problem comes when old Bob gets in the way. And old Bob gets in the way way too often. Okay? That makes sense? So what will we be doing? Uh, in heaven? When he comes back, we'll be part of the armies of heaven. Okay, we'll get to that and uh, we'll look at it in Scripture. Okay, but just a little preview, something to look forward to. Um, you know, it uh, uh, is something that will be amazing to witness. And when the second coming occurs, the battle of Armageddon is fought and Christ is victorious, that will initiate a thousand year period on earth known as the millennium. Okay? So uh, you can read about that in Revelation 21 through 6, and we'll look at, about, look at that. And so the, the key about that is that it comes after the second coming. It's a thousand-year period. Watermark believes, and I believe, that it is a literal thousand-year period that will happen while Christ reigns physically on earth. Um, Larry? Yeah. Um, that is a great question, and I can't answer that. You know, that's uh, my answer is because that's the way Jesus set it up. That's, there will actually be, Satan will be loosed at the end of the millennium. We're getting way ahead of ourselves, but Satan will be loosed at the end of the millennium and will actually attempt to lead astray the children of, and maybe grandchildren and great-grandchildren, of the uh, folks who have come physically alive into uh, the millennium okay so there will be a final satanic rebellion that will be put down at the end of the millennium and uh, then you know at that point um, is when the great white throne judgment will occur so it's the great white throne judgment is the judgment of the dead by christ after the millennium okay yes sir a thousand years as we look at a thousand years that's what i believe Okay, And the reason I believe that is because, you know, there are um, times uh, in Scripture that um, are used symbolically. But when you're looking, when you're reading Daniel, and we talked about this a little bit in my group and in the big group, when you're reading Daniel, um, the, in Daniel 9, where the vision of 70 weeks occurs, Daniel is talking about a 70-year period of captivity at the beginning of that chapter. Okay, a literal 70-year period of captivity that we know was fulfilled in history. And so based on the fact that he was talking about literal years there, I believe, Watermark believes, uh, and conservative uh, uh, theologians believe, that it is a literal 70, uh, literal, um, 70 weeks of years. And so a seven-year period uh, in referring to the tribulation will be uh, a literal seven-year period. And because of that, it causes us to say, hey, and so therefore we believe that the millennium will also be a literal thousand-year period. Okay, so if you start spiritualizing these terms and these dates, then where do you stop? That's the question that you run into. Okay, that's a great question, though. And there are um, born again believers in Christ who don't hold to that view. Okay, um, but we believe that hey, you need to have a, a way of interpreting Scripture that says 
unless there is a reason to take something as a spiritual uh, meaning, that we ought to take it as a, you know, physical, literal thing. There are a bunch of symbols in Revelation, and many times uh, John interprets the symbol, um, you know, a few verses or even a chapter or two later, so that you can understand when he's talking about something symbolic. But I think that the uh, thousand-year period will be a literal thousand-year period of Christ reigning on earth, and it'll be glorious. Okay. Um, one of the things that uh, John just mentioned that you know Daniel's uh, this is in Daniel nine he has a vision of seventy uh, sevens and if you start it, it uh, Daniel nine indicates that the beginning of that um, is a decree that relates to the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. Okay, how are we doing on this? Is everybody with me on that? Um, because otherwise I need to kind of go back and uh, uh, lay out the uh, outline of uh, Jewish history. Um, maybe I ought to do that. Uh, let me go back just a hair. Yeah, but hang on a second, Ryan. Hang on, hang on a sec. Um, okay, so um, people come into the land and they decide they want a king. Remember this about the, the nation of Israel? They want to be like everybody else. And so God relents and gives them a king. That first king was Saul. He's followed by David. David's followed by Solomon. And uh, then Solomon's son, um, Rehoboam, comes along and he uh, decides to ha- uh, follow the advice of his high school buddies instead of Solomon's uh, uh, wise and old leaders. And uh, um, he ends up causing the people to revolt against him, and the kingdom of Israel splits at that point in time. Okay, the split occurs uh, in the 900 BC sort of range, and so Israel is divided into uh, a ten kingdom, uh, a ten tribe nation in the north, known as uh, uh, Northern Israel. Uh, I'm sorry, the Northern Kingdom or Israel. Okay. And then there are two tribes. Remember, there were 12 tribes for the 12 uh, sons of Jacob. There are two tribes that are down in the south. That was known as the southern kingdom. Okay? And so then you have uh, 20 uh, kings. Let's see, I think you had 19 or 20 kings in the north. They're all bad. And you had 19 or 20 kings in the south. And only eight of those kings were good. And uh, um, what the prophets do, and we're reading along in the journey uh, about prophet Isaiah. We just finished Isaiah, now we're reading Jeremiah. These prophets are saying, hey, listen, uh, if you guys don't turn your hearts back to the Lord, then you're getting ready to be judged, and you're going to be taken captive by other nations. And Jeremiah is prophesying about uh, the nation Babylon is going to come and take over. Um, he's writing to the southern two tribes, the southern kingdom, uh, that's um, generally called uh, Judah. And um, um, that actually happens in 586 B.C. The northern kingdom was taken out by Assyria in 722 B.C. Okay? 
So they're already gone. And uh, Judah has turned its heart back to the Lord uh, through Hezekiah and Josiah and some of the good kings. And they stick around uh, a little bit longer. But in 586 B.C. um, is the final fall of Jerusalem. uh, And they fall to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Okay? Um, And so... There are actually three waves of captives that are taken from Jerusalem, from uh, Judea, to Babylon. In the first wave, and the first wave actually occurred in 605 B.C., the first wave had um, Daniel in there. And so he's taken in captivity to Babylon, and he is writing... um, the book of Daniel in captivity while he's in Babylon. Okay? And so in Daniel 9, he has a vision that uh, is one of those visions that just put him on his back. Okay? But it uh, uh, was a vision of 77s or 70 weeks of years. And the vision said in Daniel 9 that from the rebuilding of the temple, I'm sorry, from the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem, uh, there would be a period of 69 sevens, or that's 483 years. And then at that point in time, Messiah, the anointed one, would be cut off. And so there was a decree issued by... Um, who was the decree? The decree was issued by uh, Artaxerxes, and it's referenced in Nehemiah 2. The book of Nehemiah is about the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. Okay, and so you can read about this in uh, Nehemiah 2. But Artaxerxes issues a decree to rebuild the city. And so Jerusalem, uh, Nehemiah goes back and works on the wall and they start rebuilding the city. And it takes them uh, approximately 49 years to rebuild the city. And then there's another period of 62 times 7. Um, what's that? Uh, 434 years. And that takes you up to right here. And uh, it takes you right up to the cross. And then Messiah is cut off. And that's referenced in Daniel 9. And then Daniel 9 jumps over to the final, the 70th week. That's another way to reference... the tribulation period. And so remember how there are uh, the, the prophets sometimes looked at that mountain range of prophecy in a foreshortened sort of way. And so they saw events right up against each other that really had a big gap between them. And so Daniel sees up to um, the cross, and then the next thing he sees is this last week. And he doesn't see, because remember Paul says that the church is a mystery to the Old Testament believers. Okay? Y'all uh, have seen that in uh, Scripture? Okay, well I'll dig that Scripture out for you. But um, Paul acknowledges that the New Testament, the church age, was a mystery to the Old Testament believers. Okay, They were looking forward to Messiah and did not understand that Messiah would be cut off. You know, the Jews were looking for what? When, when Jesus came, what were the Jews looking for? Yeah, they were looking for somebody that would come in and kick butt. They were looking for somebody that was going to come in and, and uh, um, um, get the Romans out of their face. 
but Christ didn't come that way the first time. But He will come that way when He comes back. He will come as the conquering King. Okay, so they were confusing the um, initial coming with Christ with what the prophets wrote about the second coming of Christ when He does to believe in Christ throughout the tribulation period. Our God is a gracious God who gives us chance after chance after chance. And He will continue to do that during the tribulation period. I'll be other question. It, wouldn't He be capitalized if it was talking about the Holy Spirit? Not necessarily. It depends on how you know the Bible, uh, your Bible, does it. In the Greek, it's not capitalized. Okay. In the original manuscripts, you know, none of the references to deity uh, are uh, capitalized. Yes, ma'am. Um, I believe that the man of lawlessness is the Antichrist. He is the uh, one who, the beast of Revelation 13. Okay. He is the one who will be completely evil because he will have completely given himself to Satan. You know, Satan's the great counterfeiter. And so, you know, there is a a, a divine trinity, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, there's going to be a satanic trinity. And that will be led by Satan himself and then the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will have a false prophet that we're going to talk about in the book of Revelation. And uh, um, that will compose Satan's counterfeit trinity. Okay? So will the Antichrist be fully man, fully Satan kind of thing? Well, he, he will be completely human. Okay? But he will also, I think, be indwelled by Satan, and he will be Satan's puppet here on earth. Question in the back? Just stretching. Okay. We're about ready to take our break. Okay. Uh, questions about this timeline? You're sinning. You're sinning. Yeah, but as a church... I sin every day. Sin every day. And so I still have hope. Exactly. So that's the problem I have. And there's no answer at least on that. I mean, you see where I'm going. Yeah, I know exactly where you're going. That's right. I don't want to leave people straight. If the rapture is composed of only perfect people, it's not going to be very big. No. You know? Um, Is this church composed of perfect people? No. If there's one hallmark of watermark, it's not that it's the pretty people. It's that it's the people who know that they are no damn good. You know? I probably shouldn't have said that uh, since I'm being taped. <laughs> so y'all forgive me for that. Does everybody forgive me? Everybody forgive me? That's why we love Watermark, because it's real. You know? <laughs> Watermark is a place that people recognize that we are sinners. And that if left to the depravity of... If y'all could see... My heart, you would not be in this room. My heart, you would not be in this room. But then again, if I could see your hearts, I wouldn't let you in this room. Okay? Does that make sense? So the short answer, uh, Kimberly, is that I think that um, the rapture is going to be composed of people who have truly put their trust in Christ. And, you know... um, the Lord says in places, hey, many will come say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And he's going to say to him, get away from me. I never knew you. But he is fair and he knows our hearts. And if my heart is devoted to him in a way that says, hey, Lord, even if I'm an idiot, I still want to follow you. Because I'm an idiot every day. Okay? Trust me. 
So just believing in Christ. Ask my wife. going to get you into the rapture. You don't believe that. Um, well, the rapture is the ticket to heaven. So I think that the people who are going to heaven are going to be raptured. And I think that the, uh, the uh, test for that is, have you put your trust in Christ? And if the answer is yes, then you're going to be a part of the rapture. Okay? And so that should give you confidence and hope and should allow you to say, hey, I don't have to worry about my salvation. My salvation is assured because I've put my trust in Christ. Okay? All right. Here's a great quote from C.S. Lewis that says, hey, today is the day because um, we only have a, a chance for a little period of time to make the uh, choice to be on the right side of history. Uh, God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever because He is coming back. We must take it or leave it. And, you know, I couldn't agree more with that uh, uh, statement from uh, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. You know, this is our chance. And if you're sitting there processing it and you're saying, hey, well, you know, I've got this question and I've got that question about whether I really should put my trust in Christ and whether he's really trustworthy, you know, come see me at the break or let's talk afterwards because today is that day. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. You know, step in front of a bus, you know, have to drive 635, you know, none of us are guaranteed that we're going to be here tomorrow. So today is that day. Um, Okay, a couple of principles about the end time. You know, God is not kidding around. There is going to be a day of judgment. I firmly believe that with all my being. Um, And, you know, as we talked about, that's when the suffering servant of the first advent comes back as the conquering king riding a white horse leading the armies of heaven. And so, again, the point is, whose side are you going to be on? Are you going to be on uh, the Lord's side or you're going to be against him? It's one of those two sides. Okay? Um, I love uh, uh, Hebrews 9.27 because it is both an encouragement and it is a motivation. Uh, and is, in as much as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. And so, okay, I'm still alive, I'm still drawing breath, and what does that say? If I'm a believer in Christ, that says, God is not done with me yet. And so we should be encouraged first to have confidence that we're going to be a part of that rapture when it occurs. And even if I'm dead, then my body is going to be raptured at that point, and somehow the soul and the body are going to be reconnected, and it's going to be good. Um, You know, I'm not sure how all those details are going to work out, but I know that the Lord is good, and that His Word is true, and that I trust Him. And we can depend on Him for that. Okay, so what attitude should we have uh, about this book? Well, I've listed three that I think are not the right attitude. You know, to say I can't understand it and so I'm not going to study it? Well, obviously y'all don't believe that one either. Um, Or to say that, hey, there are lots of different ways to read this book, and I'm not sure which one's right, and besides that just divides people, and so I don't want to divide anybody, and so therefore I'm just going to ignore this. Well, that's not the right attitude towards the book either. 
And then on the other extreme is to say, hey, this is the most important book in the Bible because the Lord's coming back. And uh, man, I need to spend all my time reading this book. That's not the right attitude either. Okay? Here's the one that I think is the right attitude. The book's important, and it's important because all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable. And even though it's about the future, it gives me hope for living today. And it also gives me a motivation to uh, uh, tell others about Christ. Okay? All right. Um, Just a couple of quick things. You know, there uh, people debate who the author is. Um, you know, uh, he identifies himself as John, and he doesn't need to say much more about it. And I think um, the Greek matches up with the Greek of the Gospel of John, and I think that it's safe to conclude that the Apostle John that wrote the book of John and also the letters, first and second and third John, is also the uh, author of the um, uh, book of Revelation. People date the book of Revelation a lot of different uh, time frames. I believe the most realistic one is when uh, John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos in uh, approximately 95 AD. It was the last book to be written, uh, the books that are included in the canon of Scripture. And canon just as a fancy word that means that it's in the, you know, it's in the Bible. Okay? And so we've already talked a little bit about this, that Uh, The blessing we certainly have covered. And the purpose uh, is to reveal the events that are going to take place immediately before, during, and after the second coming of Christ. Okay, and you know, we've read uh, Revelation 1 already. Here is a picture of the monastery on the island of Patmos. Um, Now, John wasn't in that monastery, but he was exiled on that island. He was more likely in a cave on the island writing. Uh, But that is uh, the uh, island of Patmos today. And there's a great monastery in which they have a bunch of uh, early Greek manuscripts that uh, my friend Dan Wallace, who's a uh, New Testament uh, prof at uh, Dallas Seminary, has been over to photograph those manuscripts and to uh, uh, digitally make them available online to scholars. Uh, Pretty cool work that Dan's doing. All right, so um, outline of the book, and then we're going to take a break. Um, We're going to talk about uh, um, Revelation 119, which I think gives you a a key to the book. And then uh, chapters 2 and 3 deal with seven churches. Um, some folks have indicated they were uh, interested in numbers, so there's sevens all over the place. Then we're going to have uh, seven seal judgments. There's a series of uh, three series of judgments that consist of seven judgments each. They're the seal, the trumpet uh, judgments, and then drop down to the bottom and you see the bold judgments, which will be the final judgments. We'll identify seven great persons in uh, Revelation 12 and 13, and some of those are good guys, and some of those great persons are bad guys. So great just means they're important to know. Okay? And then I think, um, interestingly, uh, chapter 14 kind of gives us an overview of the end times. These all are references uh, to chapters uh, in the book of Revelation. Uh, this pe- picture is uh, looking out. You can see the Dead Sea in the uh, uh, distance. Um, I'm actually uh, in Masada. 
uh, up on you know um, big hillside, uh, you know great um, mountain top sort of uh, fortress where Jews held off Romans uh, back in the uh, uh, first century, uh, and this was just a picture looking out from uh, Masada. Okay, so um, bold judgments is in chapter 16. That's when the worst time to be on earth ever. Um, then we'll see about the fall of Babylon. You'll see uh, about the wedding feast of the Lamb in chapter 19. Um, that'll be uh, uh, followed by the second coming, Armageddon, the millennium, Satan's final defeat, and the great white throne judgment, and then the new heavens and earth. This picture, you remember uh, the other week when uh, Todd was talking about the uh, uh, gates of hell? Uh, there was a picture of, uh, this was up near... Um, um, What's the name of Caesarea Philippi? Um, we had just been at the gates of hell and seen the the um, caves in the hillside where uh, likely Christ was with his disciples when uh, Peter made his great declaration that you are the son, you are the Messiah and the Son of the Living God. And we'd hike down, and this was just a waterfall uh, near there that was really pretty cool. Um, so let's take a break. Uh, I'm going to stick around here during the break. And so if you have any questions, come on up and uh, let's talk about them.